In the book of Genesis, after the story of the creation and after the story of Noah and the flood and after the story of the great tower that was built at Babel, um, there is the story of Abram on a journey from his home of Ur, Ur the Chaldeans and as he moved across the deserts to that place in Canaan to which he was called. God spoke to Abram. Do you remember how that conversation went? And he said that yours will be a great nation. And in fact, all of the earth, all of the nations will be blessed through you. Abram, Sarai, and their, lot, their nephew Lot journeyed specifically from Haran all the way to Canaan. As they were on that journey, they were receiving the Lord's blessings even then. Lot with his herds and Abram with his herds, they were in such great number that Abram began to reason to himself, we need to separate in order that there will be enough pasture that all of our flocks might feed. He turned to his nephew and he said, you do the choosing. Wherever you would like to take your flocks, you get to choose. It was like the lottery had come. Lot looked around and it didn't take him long to decide who would turn away from the Jordan River Valley. He said, I'll take that area right over there. And Abram said, and God's blessings be upon you. What a wonderful thing that they separated in such a pleasant way. Lot had chosen the vantage point of that fertile valley. And Abram would be settling into a more arid place with his herds. The problem that Lot had not anticipated was that Jordan River Valley was the prize of a lot of people. And in fact, those who were not at present living there were dreaming about it. It wasn't long before several kings came and overtook Lot and his family and the civilization that he had begun to develop in that area. And in fact, they imprisoned Lot. When word of that got to Abram, Abram was incensed and very defensive for his nephew. He gathered together as many as he could to go into battle against those forces that had entrapped his nephew. When he arrived, they fought valiantly and they won the battle. Lot was released and they had the proceeds of the, 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 uh, the village that they had invaded and they had the booty of war that they shared amongst themselves. As they came back home, <coughs> as they came back home, not only were they dealing with this wonderful windfall of material goods that had come by their blessings, 
but they also were renowned even before arriving back in Canaan. They came into their homeland and kings and priests met them, particularly one man whose name was Melchizedek. And he came speaking these words to Abram. Blessed be Abram by God most high, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. The writer of Hebrews was fascinated with this individual. And if you want to look there and read, it's in the seventh chapter where he's fascinated with this priest who seems to come out of nowhere. There is no connection in the scripture to give us this introduction to Melchizedek. He seems to not even be included in any of the genealogies. Did he have no father? Where did he go when he was no longer on the scene? This mystical figure had many stories that revolved around him. And the writer of Hebrew could not help but think of Jesus. It's a fascinating way of looking at this priestly figure. But back to Abram. When Abram heard the blessing of Melchizedek upon his life, he was already feeling blessed. It says here in the scripture, and Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Why would Abram do that? And how did he come up with the notion to begin with? Some scholars that read not only the scripture, but also read the literature and study the history of other cultures have realized that Abram did not invent tithing, even though this is the first time that it has been mentioned in the Bible. He was not the one that came up with the idea. It was embedded in many other places throughout the world. That this was a response of people that was appropriate to their God. And so even if these persons were worshiping idols, they were worshiping in a way that was admirable. They were giving a part of what they had and who they were to those beings that they worshiped. All the more reason Abram must have thought to himself as he worships the one true living God that he should give to his God as well a tithe. Abram sought to give the very first of his very best. Does that sound familiar to you? That's the title of our sermon series. The very first of our very best. It was a plan that Abram made in his mind to to do diligence to giving to God what truly was really already his to begin with. And this became the standard for the Hebrew people because they believed not simply in Abram, but this plan that their lives should be oriented to God in every way. Some of you have had the opportunity to go through uh, the Dave Ramsey course, Financial Peace University. It's become a a regular offering of 
uh, study group here at Pittman Park, and it's a fascinating class. Uh, but Dave Ramsey uh, is this man who has a plan. If you've not been through it, you will be interested to take the class. I, in fact, would encourage you to do that because it has to do with good financial planning. Uh, but it's more than that. Um, he has some quite memorable quotes throughout the class as he encourages um, persons that are taking the class to realize that cumulatively it pays off to retire debt and to really focus on that and then to build savings even in small amounts because that over the course of a lot of time can make an enormous difference in your being able to function well within the world. One of the quotes that I will uh, forever remember is, live like no one else so later you can live like no one else. That's a Dave Ramsey quote. Isn't that just great? Live like no one else so that later you may live like no one else. Now, when you first take the class, you're thinking to yourself, well, what he's doing is setting us up in order that we could succeed and then we'll be able to spend just on anything that we want to because we have done such a good job with savings. When you get to the end of the class, you realize that what Dave Ramsey is focusing on here is that the process of having a plan and putting it in place will give you the freedom to contribute your life in more significant ways to be a blessing to the world. To give your life to Christ in new and creative ways, which is a way that the world has yet not discovered to live. Herb Mather is a man that I've enjoyed reading about just lately. Uh, Before his retirement, uh, he was the director of stewardship with the General Board of Discipleship uh, in the United Methodist Church. And Herb Mather wrote a number of books, but the the one that particularly has caught my attention is entitled, That's What My Mother Taught Me. It was a book on stewardship. And in that book, he, of course, talks about himself and about his practices uh, that have been guided by his his parents and his grandparents. But he also has uh, shared in that little book about this extensive survey that not only he did, but his students, uh, he was teaching while he was teaching in uh, college classes, his students were doing for him. He would give assignments at the first of the, uh, first of the class and he would ask his students to go out and ask persons why they gave to uh, charitable organizations and particularly to the church. Um, some of the students found that people were not ready to answer that question. Um, And so he said, well, adapt it then. Ask them the question, do they know persons that give? And how has that inspired you in your life? And so he gathered this large amount of information from these surveys, these interviews, in understanding how and why people give. He said, that there are a number of categories that he began to put people into as he read through those responses. And in fact, you may find that you fit into one of these categories. Uh, The first category is one that he entitled, 
the brought up right. Uh, I don't know if you heard my sermon a couple of weeks ago, heard me talking about being born into a nest of grace. I didn't come to, uh, to tithing on my own. It was something that was just handed down through my parents. And I guess I would fit into this category because it was something that I didn't have to invent my parents I just simply shared it in such a way that it became a part of my life early on. Some of you may fit into that same category. Or it may be that you fit into a different category. He said that there was a group of persons that he put into a category that he called the strivers. And those that uh, were not contributing to the church at a 10% level, but they wanted to be tithers. And so they were stretching themselves and and they had felt affirmed um, to move up a degree in their tithing on a yearly basis, but were stretching toward becoming tithers. He said the interesting thing is that there also were strivers that had already reached the level of tithing, but were striving to move beyond that level and to make their lives even more of a response to what God was doing. Another category was one that he entitled the acceptors. And he said that the acceptors really are not a part of uh, North American culture particularly. Um, But he said when you go outside of the country and begin to uh, interview uh, Christians that are particularly a part of Asian culture, he said in Korea, we would ask, uh, uh, how is it um, that you have come to tithe uh, to the church? And uh, the responses as a whole, he said, without exception almost, uh, that the respondents would say, because that's what was expected of me. It was just a part of the equation. This is what it meant to be Christian and so This is what we do. That's an interesting thing to think about. Another category he said that he discovered was one that he entitled the ambivalent. Those that really were not sure yet still what a tithe was nor what the purpose was about, uh, they weren't sure that they wanted to be committed to a tithe. And in fact, they weren't sure exactly what they were giving. They were giving, but they weren't sure exactly of the amounts And so they were ambivalent about the ways in which they were giving uh, to the church and to charity. There was a final category that he said was important. And he said this was one that he entitled the grateful because occasionally he would run into someone who could communicate nothing but simply the deep gratitude that was in their heart for all that God had done for them. That no matter what they were giving, whether that amount was small or whether it was large, there was this deep sense of gratitude that was the motivation behind their giving. Now, you know so very well that Jesus was concerned with how people give. In fact, uh, there is uh, more than one instance to suggest that Jesus would sit around and watch to see what people gave uh, while he was in the temple one day and watching very wealthy people were coming and contributing. And yet he saw one very poor woman come up and drop in two coins. And his comment was that she's given more than anybody here this day. Why is it that he said that? And that was because she had so little. And yet she was willing to give it all and risk what she had. 
in order to let her life be a response to God. At one point, Jesus spoke to the scribes and the Pharisees and he said, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. You tithe because it is a legal thing for you to do to stay in right relationship with the temple and with God, but you are forgetting the heavier matters. You think that you have satisfied things just simply to put life in order. But there is this major thing that you're leaving out that you don't see that you are involved with, and that is setting the entire world right. That God claims all of the world, and that justice and mercy and faith must be a part of what you are doing and your giving. This is not simply about paying tithes. This is about setting things right in the world. Do you remember that Jesus preached about this in his first sermon? He said, whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you and do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The father who sees in secret will reward you. When we look at what we give, it is hard for us either not to feel guilty for having not given more or to feel too pleased with ourselves for having given so much. Jesus is saying, let the judgment be in God's eyes. You simply give. And so I wanna ask you, what is the plan that you have for your giving? Have you adopted a plan for your giving? Have you made provisions for this in order that it might represent truly who you are before God? Uh, There's a playfulness that I might encourage you toward, a deep sense of gratitude that will make this better. I heard about a youth pastor that went to his youth group on a Sunday evening, and he said, we're going to play a game tonight that I'm calling Bigger and Better. And he gave, he divided the, the group into two separate groups, and he gave each of those groups a brand new pencil beautiful eraser, had never been sharpened. He gave each of them a pencil. He had been reading that story that Jesus told about sharing of the talents where the master came and gave one talent, five, five, one man five talents and another two and another one. And he sent them off in order to see what they could do and to return with that to the master. So this youth minister sent the youth off He said, you'll have two hours. He said, you go and see what you can do to bring back more than just a pencil by knocking on doors. And so the youth went out and they knocked on the door and they held the pencil up when the person came and they said, what we're trying to do is to trade you for something that is worth more than a pencil. (laughs) And so from... That house, uh, the person began to think, what can I give them that would be appropriate? And so they would go back into the den or go back into the kitchen and they would come back with something that would be worth more than a pencil. And they would say, okay, here, I'll trade you for that nice, shiny new pencil. And they would hand over the pencil and the youth would leave with their new item. They would go to the next house and knock on the door. 
I want to trade you for this item that I've got here. And lo and behold, this trading that was done at the doors of these houses by the end of the evening, one of the groups came back with a sofa sleeper And the, the other group came back with a flat panel TV, believe it or not. It was an incredible thing. Now, granted, this had a lot to do probably with the houses that they were going to, you know, and the eagerness of those that were living in the houses to make, out, make this work out well for the youth. But you get this, don't you? The, the playfulness of all of this. We think so hard about it. In fact, um, we, we get worried about the sermons. We begin to, to wonder, how can we be as generous as, as the pastor and the leaders of the church are asking us to be? How can we be that generous? And we've completely missed the focus because adopting a plan, if you're going to adopt a plan, let me encourage you to let your plan be gratitude. If you can live this day, if you can live tomorrow with a heart that's filled with gratitude, all of this is going to work out in a way that would be pleasing to God. You and I must respond, of course, but if we do not start with gratitude, our hearts are not in the right place to begin with. Looking back at what Abram was doing, don't you know that he came up with this plan of a tithe by way of borrowing it probably from some other people that had been using it for centuries before? But the thing that was so unique for him was that it was directed toward the one mighty ever living God and his heart was fully in it. He was completely immersed in gratitude. You and I are called today to adopt a plan. Adopt a plan. (laughs) Adopt a plan in order that our giving might truly be representative of who we are as God's people. As we come to the close of our worship, there's another hymn that we share together in singing, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus," which is what it's all about, trusting in God's call upon our lives. Would you stand as Roger leads us this day, number 462 in your hymnal.